With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Pittsburgh Steelers fans, what's going on? This is Jeff Harpin, Senior Editor of com, with you for another episode of Let's Ride, your Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning podcast, and it is a great show. I hope you had a great weekend. I know I did. It's beautiful weather here in the Mid-Atlantic. Hopefully it's nice where you are, and again, we've got a lot to discuss today. Monday morning conversation coming up. Really excited for this one. Alan Saunders is going to join me. This is a guy that's been at OTAs, been there, seen it, knows what's going on. He's going to give us our insights on everything from the rookies to the quarterbacks. You name it, we're going to talk about it. Make sure you stay tuned in the second half for that Monday morning conversation. Otherwise, remember, wherever you get your podcast, all you have to do is search Steelers or Behind the Steel Curtain. Subscribe, follow, whatever you have to do so that you don't miss a thing. And I have to add in BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. We are a connection of that website. It is the website that I run, and that should be your one-stop shop for all things Pittsburgh Steelers. So before we dive into the headline and title of this podcast, there's something I wanted to bring to the fans' attention, something that no one can seem to figure out. So in organized team activities, or OTAs, the NFL allots each team 10 workouts, and the Steelers, they released a schedule that had three workouts in week one, three workouts in in week two, which that just finished. And the original schedule was that they were going to be four workouts in week three. This is the normal Steelers schedule, three one week, three the next week, four the following week, and then the week after that, mandatory minicamp before the players leave. They go on vacation. They go back to their hometown. Whatever they want to do to stay in shape, to get their minds right, to get their bodies right, and to stay out of trouble – until training camp at the end of July. However, the one thing that I think that we're all seeing now is that the Steelers had three workouts in week one. That happened. Three workouts last week, week two, that happened. And then all of a sudden week three got canceled. I don't know if it got canceled, but it just, it it disappeared. 
Now, all of a sudden, here we are on Monday, May 6th, and mandatory minicamp is this week. And everyone's like, well, what happened to the third week of OTAs? This is something that Mike Tomlin's probably going to have to address during minicamp. I believe he speaks to the media every day after mandatory minicamp. Uh, but it's something they're going to want to know. Like, what, what the heck happened with the schedule? This doesn't make any sense. I've never, since I've been following the Steelers this closely, I have never seen the team do this. So you, you con- Constantly, every year, this goes back to uh, Bill Cowher even, they would have that last week of OTAs, the fourth practice. They wouldn't actually practice. They'd go to Dave and Buster's or they'd go catch a movie together, some team-building exercise. This is different. I don't know why. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I just don't know why. But there's only six OTAs, which is really, really weird, really strange. Hopefully we'll get an answer and we'll talk about that on Wednesday. But what I want to talk about today in the first half of the show is I've been following the fan sentiment around Stefan Tuitt and his retirement last week. And yes, I know we're going to talk about this. This was a big deal, folks. This was a big deal. And I I, I don't want to underscore this. And a lot of people are probably like, okay, Jeff, let's move on. Well, yeah, let, let's move on to something else. This was a this was a really big deal. And a lot of fans are really negative about it. But I wrote this in an article, my letter from the editor, which ran on Sunday at Behind the Steel Curtain. And it's Four reasons why I thought that there is actually some positives in this. Once the emotion kind of calms, there's some positives. I spoke about some of these on Friday, even when I had Jeremy Betts on uh, as a, the Friday segment, the second half of the show. But let's run through these quickly in case you didn't catch the article. Some positives to come from the retirement of Stefan Tuitt. Uh, number one would be a, a decision was finally made. Okay, they finally, we just, we as fans, we, them as an organization, the team, they finally have a definitive decision. I think that's important to note, and that's that's a positive for me. Second, they did it on June 1st. Uh, now, whether this was Mike Tomlin and Omar Khan and other people, Art Rooney II, maybe Stefan Tua called him up on Monday of last week and said, hey, I'm thinking I'm, I'm done. I'm pre- I'm I'm done. I'm not playing. I'm not coming back. I'm going to retire. They might have said, "Okay, that's fine. You want to do that? Remember, we paid you all last season. You didn't play a snap. The least you can do for us is make it a June first retirement. So wait until Wednesday." And he did. He did that. And the reason why that's a positive. Well, we talked about the salary cap space last Friday, and the Steelers now have over twenty million dollars in salary cap space heading into this offseason or that time period between minicamp and training camp. But the last thing, and, and I wanted to bring this up, was he, he didn't pull a Vince Williams. Stefan Tua did not pull a Vince Williams. I still think back to Vince Williams retiring on the eve of training camp last year, and boy, did I feel like he did the Steelers dirty when he did that. I don't think that I, – I don't think it was malicious. I'm not sure what the – we have yet to hear from Vince Williams at, at any way, shape, or form. Uh, just – we don't know what exactly went into him retiring at that juncture, but it changed everything. The Steelers, so, okay, Robert Splane will fill in. Well, Robert Splane wasn't that guy. He wasn't the answer there. And so they had to trade with the Jacksonville Jaguars to get Joe Schobert. It changed everything. It changed everything. So Stefan it doing those four things, finally making a decision, doing that on June 1st, it gives them that salary cap space. And lastly, he let the team know they have enough time now to kind of slow things down, make a decision that they think is best for the organization 
with this newfound salary cap space. And that is a perfect segue into the title and topic of today's show, which is the Steelers should avoid the knee-jerk reaction with their new found cap space. You know, the knee-jerk reaction, I love that term. We use it a lot um, on Behind the Steel Curtain. We do an article after every game, even after the draft. The knee-jerk reaction to the result, the game, the draft pick, whatever. On the Steelers preview with myself, Dave Schofield, and Brian Davis, we always ask, I ask the question of, what was your knee-jerk reaction? I want to know what fans think right away. Like, what was the first thing that you thought when you saw this? And so the Steelers, though, as much as I love the knee-jerk reaction and all those ways that I just mentioned, they need to avoid the knee-jerk reaction when it comes to countering the Stefan Tuitt retirement. Yes, they have more cap space. That's fantastic. But they don't need to go out there and make a quick and a hasty decision whatever, whichever way they decide to go. And when you think about it, there's a lot of different avenues that they could go with this newfound money. They could bring in a defensive lineman, whether it's Ndamukong Sue, whether it's – I talked about all those players on Friday. Go back and listen to that podcast. They could – Use that money elsewhere. ESPN, they said that out of their top 10 of still available free agents, one of them is Eric Fisher, offensive tackle. They said the best fit for him would be in Pittsburgh. Maybe they take some of that money and maybe they put it to another position. Maybe it's cornerback. Maybe they try to coax Joe Hayden to come back to the Steelers. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but those are all avenues that they could go down with this newfound cap space. Or they could just say, well, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to sign anyone. We feel very confident in the players that we have on the roster. We feel very confident about the players at the position. And we'll just roll that money over. We'll roll that $20.5 million or however much. It's around $20. We'll roll all that over, and then we'll use it in 2023 in free agency, and we'll do some good with it in in that regard. Hey, it could happen. But fans want those immediate moves. They, They want that to happen right now. They want it right now. And this isn't fantasy football, though, folks. This isn't your fantasy team that when all of a sudden your starting running back or your starting quarterback gets hurt, that you have to go to the waiver wire and you have to put in that waiver claim as soon as possible because if not, you're going to miss out on that player that you want. That's This is not your fantasy football league. This also is not Madden. Okay, You're not creating a franchise and a team and all of a sudden someone gets hurt and it's a video game and you're, I'm just going to go sign this guy right now. This isn't Madden. It's not fantasy football. The Steelers would be wise to be patient. And this is the first real test for Omar Khan. Omar Khan, he takes over for Kevin Colbert. And I found it very interesting that Jeremy Betts on Friday, and he he talked about how he feels like with Omar Khan, he, he thinks they're more likely to go out and add a player on the defensive line compared to if it was Colbert, he thinks they would just stay put. We'll see. This is the first real test. I mean, Gomar Khan steps into a pretty good spot. They had a great offseason. He was a part of that. I don't want to suggest that he is you know, taking over the reins of this entity that he had nothing to do with. He did, and he wrote a lot of great contracts, whether you're talking about the Chooks for deal, whether you're talking about James Daniels' deal. It doesn't matter which contract in terms of free agents that, you're, that he helped orchestrate, but he's stepping into a pretty good situation. And now, for the first time since he took over, everyone – Fans, probably even those within the organization, are wondering, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Is he going to say, all right, we're going to take some of this money, we're going to bring someone in? Or is he going to say, 
I think we're going to make a, a different move here. I, I think that Khan needs to be patient, and he should lean on his team or teams, plural. I think first and foremost, he should lean on the coaches. I'm talking about the coaching staff, whether it's the defensive line staff, Carl Dunbar, Coach Mitchell, Mike Tomlin, obviously, Brian Flores, Terrell Austin, all of them. A defensive meeting and saying, guys, we need to talk about the depth we have on the current roster. Do we have what it takes? If I'm Omar Khan, I'm asking that very broad-based question. Do we have what it takes to absorb this loss? Now, keep in mind, 2021, they didn't have Stefan to it at all, but they weren't equipped for that. The question that you'd ask your coaches are, are we equipped now? Is the run defense better now? Are we more equipped for it now than they, we were a year ago? Has Isaiah Loudermilk taken that step? Is Chris Wormley ready for another season with increased playing time? Is DeMarvin Leal a player that could somehow, some way step in and just fill a role? It doesn't have to be a starter, but fill a role. These are questions the coaches are going to have to answer. And it's okay if they take their time and say, you know what, let's get through minicamp and then we're going to, we'll really dive in. And that, I, I get that 100%. They need to evaluate their players. He should also be leaning on this newfound, new look personnel department Andy Weedle, Sheldon White, et cetera. There's being more names added almost by the day. And they need to look at who are the available players out there. And this should be happening at the same time as the coaches evaluate the Steelers' current depth chart. They need to look at who's available, and if we want to bring them in, how much is it going to cost? They need to be making the calls, talking to agents. We're thinking about bringing this player in. What's the health status? What is the what is the price tag going to be? Is he going to fit? And that way they have all their ducks in a row. Because the one thing that while I say they need to be patient, and they avoid the knee-jerk reaction. And I do honest, honest to goodness believe they should. They cannot wait too long. There is a segment of the fan base that thinks that the best course of action is no action until teams start to cut down from 90 to 53. And while that can work in some positions, the one thing that scares me to death is when you think back to last season, I talked about the Schobert trade. That happened during a preseason game in Philadelphia. And so he comes in, and Mike Tomlin immediately starts with his jumping on a moving train and all those slogans that he loves to use about players that are coming in and they're trying to get acclimated. The Steelers should avoid the knee-jerk reaction to this retirement, but they should not wait until training camp or at the preseason begins. In my opinion, you need to make the move before camp. If you're going to bring someone in, I should preface it with that. If you're going to bring someone in, if you're going to make a move, you need to do it before camp. Not mini camp, training camp, end of July. We still haven't gotten those official dates yet, but at the end of July. And the reason is you want to give that player, whoever it is, the opportunity to get acclimated to the defense, acclimated to the staff, and the team, and the organization before the real proverbial bullets start to fly. Now, they're not going to make a move then you're fine. Then you sit back and say, we're good. The coaches, they all agree, we're good. We've got this. We have the. We were kind of preparing for life without Stefan to it because we just didn't know. Now we know, but we're prepared. Not like last year. We weren't prepared then. We also suffered some injuries, mainly to Tyson Alualu, but he's back. He's healthy. Cam's Cam. We're good. If that's what they're going to do, then they're fine. They don't have to worry about a thing. But if they're going to make a move, 
We need to make that move prior to training camp. You can't wait. You can't have that same situation. Joe Schobert never looked comfortable, and I have to think to myself, it's probably because he only had a couple weeks of training camp, and then the regular season showed up. I know he's a smart player. I know that he might not have been the best fit alongside Devin Bush, but at the same time, you don't want to have that same situation. They just have to be patient. Be patient, and everyone's watching Omar Khan. What's he going to do? What is he going to do? It's going to be interesting. I know I'm excited for it. All right, what I'm really excited for is for you all to hear the Monday Morning Conversation with Alan Saunders coming up right after this break where we talk all things Pittsburgh Steelers. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, Steeler fans, it's Monday. It's the second half of the show. It's time for the Monday morning conversation. And today I welcome in Alan Saunders, who covers the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Pitt Panthers for Pittsburgh Steelers now and Pittsburgh Sports Now. Alan, welcome to the Let's Ride podcast. How are you today? I'm good, man. How are you? I am great. And there's a lot of questions about the Pittsburgh Steelers through OTAs. And it's not all surrounding Stefan to it, which dominated the, uh, the newswire for the Steelers fan base last week. Uh, I, I, you cover Pitt. You've covered Pitt for a long time. I want to ask you first, and I've done this with everyone I've had on my podcast that has covered Pitt in any way, shape, or form. When the Steelers picked Kenny Pickett, you covered him all his whole career at, at the University of Pittsburgh. What was your reaction? You think it's going to translate to the NFL? I think he's. I feel very confident in Kenny Pickett being a good NFL quarterback. I just, I believe in his work ethic, his competitiveness. It's, you know, he, he's the kind of person that you can bet on. I think that's the thing that being right next to this, to, to Pitt and seeing him for all those years, I really think that's the thing that the Steelers picked up on is just, he's, he has every trait that you would want your quarterback to have. He's smart. He's a good leader. He's extremely tough. Um, he, he, he's very competitive, you know, he's a quick learner. He just has all those intangibles that you would want. And I think physically, like he's a little bit, I think he's a little bit faster than people give him credit for. Um, and I think his arm, while it won't ever be in the top echelon of NFL passers, is certainly good enough that he can have success at the next level. Now, I think one of the really hardest things to do in football right now is decide what makes it is pick out the traits that makes a quarterback great. You know, like physically, um, what's the difference between, you know, Matt Stafford and Sam Bradford, right? Two guys right. taken way at the top of the draft. You look at them physically and you're like, it's 
pretty much the same guy. Matt Stafford has a long career in Detroit where they struggle, wins the Super Bowl. Sam Bradford washes out of the league. I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't think anybody really knows what what goes into what makes a quarterback you know, good versus great or have success at the NFL level. But I think he has a good mix of the kind of traits you want. It's not like a kind of guy who's leaning on his athleticism or, you know, just has that arm, but doesn't know what to do with it. Or, you know, I think he has a good mix. I just think the most likely outcome for him is probably to be a, a very good quarterback and maybe not a great one. And I think when you're drafting at number 20, that's, that's a pretty good outcome. I, I think most yeah. people would take that. He has small hands, though, Alan. I mean, that's what everyone's talking about. I, right when I thought, you know, leading up to the draft that everyone was talking about the hand size thing, and, and Kenny Pickett said, uh, I think it was at the Combine, that his hands are kind of curved, and that's why he has small, whatever. Recently, this past week, uh, some other podcasters that were there at OTA said that he was it looked like he was struggling a little bit with the football. The NFL ball is a little bit bigger. Have you noticed anything about, you know, we know he wears gloves. A lot of people hate that. I could care less. Have you noticed anything about his hand size? And is it noticeable? Let me put it that way. I haven't noticed anything like strictly with regard to his hand size. I mean, I do think you look at him throwing in line with Mitch Trubisky and, and Mason Rudolph, and you do see some of those um, arm strength question marks that came up during the pre-draft process. I, you know, he doesn't throw as nice of a deep ball as those guys do. Like that's that's just a fact, I, you know. Yeah. Um, and I don't think he always gets, and you don't always want everything on it. But if you're talking about here's a guy ten yards away, throw it as hard as you can at his chest. I think those guys can probably throw it harder. So I mean, that's going to be something that he's going to have to overcome if he's going to have success in the NFL. But I don't think it's impossible to be overcome either. You know, I don't think, you know, obviously Mason Rudolph hasn't had a great deal of success in the times that he's been given opportunities, despite having a beautiful deep ball uh, and, and a more than strong enough arm. So, uh, you know, it's not all that, uh, but I, I think you can see it when, when you line them up next to two experienced NFL quarterbacks that, that he, he is going to have to, uh, lean on those other skills he has in order to be successful. Speaking of the quarterbacks, and you've been at organized team activities the past two weeks, just in general, how have they looked? Uh, and not, not, I'm talking about the big three, obviously, Trubisky, Rudolph, and Pickett. In terms of, you know, the demeanor, you know, is, is someone stepping up in, in any specific way? What are your thoughts on the quarterback so far? I guess I'll start with Mitch Trubisky. I've been really impressed with his ability to come into a new team and not really know anyone. I think he knew, well, obviously played with Levi Wallace, but like basically doesn't know anybody else on the team. And to come in and immediately be a leader of the offense, I think that's got to be difficult. Um, just trying to put myself in his shoes. You know, I, I don't, even though it's a young offense still, like there aren't exactly a ton of established leaders in that unit. I think that's still something that's been pretty impressive to me. Um, Mason Rudolph seems confident and comfortable. I think that is the, you know, I, most of the time when I think about what I see on film or, or when I go back and look at the games from Mason Rudolph is that he doesn't look comfortable, right? When he's out there doing, you know, he looks like he's scared or nervous or hesitant or, you know, not confident a lot in the pocket when you watch the film of, of his games. 
And I don't get that vibe. He looks like he's very comfortable in this offense. I think he's very clearly the player that has the most knowledge of the offense. Um, you know, and uh, he seems like he's very comfortable, just just confident in a way that I've not seen from him so far. I think Pickett is very focused on learning right now, uh, just trying to absorb everything. You know, I don't really think there's actually any competition happening at OTAs. Uh, it doesn't doesn't really matter. I, I don't. I don't believe that anybody really cares. Uh, you, I guess you can lose a job in May, but you sure can't win one. Yeah. Um, and and I think that you know Pickett's just been very focused on you know getting the small details of this offense correct. I think that's an underrated aspect of, of why this offense didn't work last year. Um, you know, it's not that hard. <laughs> you know, when Matt Canada came to Pitt. He put this offense in. He only coached there one year, right? He put this offense in the spring, and they went out in the fall and set Pitt's all-time scoring record with Nate Peterman. Like it's not <laughs> like he was, you know, not like he would yeah. get. And you're talking about a, a place that has had some pretty darn good pros over the years. You know, they didn't set the scoring record when they had Tony Dorsett. They didn't set the scoring record when they had Dan Marino. They didn't do it when they had. Shady McCoy or Larry Fitzgerald. No, it was Nate Peterman and James Conner. And while I think James Conner's a very good player, that's certainly not the most talent they've ever had on offense, right? Yeah. So, like the, the so to me, the scheme works, and it can't be that hard if a bunch of college kids figured it out in eight months. But it is extremely detail oriented. You know, they do all of this window dressing and 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 shifts and motions in order just to get one guy to be one foot out of place. You know, that, that's really what they're all they're doing. It's like, okay, we're going to run inside zone. But instead of running inside zone like everybody else runs inside zone, we're going to do this and then this and then this and then this. So that we, when we run inside zone, that Mike linebacker is two feet out of position because he was worried about something else. And now instead of hitting our running back square on, he's hitting them from the side and we're giving our guy a chance to break that tackle and make a big play. That's what it's all about. But if your offense isn't super precise, if your guys aren't going through those shifts and motions and, and all that exactly where they're supposed to be, then you're losing the advantage of that guy being two feet out of position because you're not in ex the exact right position to take advantage of it. And I, d I feel like the Steelers were absolutely dreadful at that part of Matt Canada's offense. They never had their timing right last year. They were never lined up right. They never, you know, their mesh points were wrong. And nothing about the offense was executed with that sort of precision crispness that it needs to in order to take advantage of what all that window dressing in motion is providing. And you have to figure at the NFL level, you know, the, the linebacker isn't going to be three or four feet out of position. These guys are too smart for that. You're only getting that little advantage. And if you're not executing it properly, you're not going to get that advantage. And I, I think they were really bad at it last year. And so I think to me, the biggest thing I see Pickett focused on is, okay, this is a jet sweep action. Where do I need to be? Is it, is it, do I need the ball? outside my body, on my hip, inside my body? Do I need to have my feet uh, parallel like I'm going to be ready to throw? Or should my back foot you know, be turned towards the runner? I see a lot of him just really sucking up those very minute details and trying to learn this offense. And I think that's really what he's focused on. I don't see him like getting worried about a competition or watching what the other guys are doing in that kind of way. I just think he's really, really focused on zone and honing in on this offense and, and learning it fully.
That's some great stuff. That's really good stuff. And I appreciate that. I want to ask you a question about the team in general, not just the quarterbacks. Is there a player or maybe a couple players that have shown like a really big transformation, whether that's physically, whether that's from a performance standpoint, meaning you someone, man, that guy looks like he's really out there, looks different than last year. Is there anyone that stands out in terms of a transformation from last year to this year? Yeah, there's a couple. Um, <laughs> there's a lot made about Najee Harris looking bigger. Yeah. He's certain, man, like, I don't know how much weight he gained, but it's all muscle. Let's just say that. And he, like, put muscles on top of muscles in places <laughs> that most people don't have muscles, right? Like, that's like that's that's what separates someone that's, like, strong from someone that's you just is a freak. And that's what you have to call Najee Harris. Um, and that it's, it's all – yeah, he, he's absurd. Uh, I think Isaiah Loudermilk has gotten a lot bigger noticeably um, and, and trying to hold up at the, the point of attack against running. I think that was his big weakness last year. And he obviously saw something and said, okay, here's, here's what I need to get bigger. I need to get bigger to do that better. Um, and he did that. As far as other guys go, I think, I think Pat Friermuth looks a little bit stronger um, as well. Just, just needed, I think, there was that game last year. Was it Minnesota where he just got put on his backside in a pretty embarrassing way? And uh, I think he kind of realized that if he, you know, could he be this like floaty move tight end that doesn't really get his nose dirty and, and be, still be successful in the NFL? Yeah, absolutely. But that's not really his personality. And so I think he figured out that if he wants to, if he wants to get dirty at this level, he's, he needed to be a little bit stronger. And I feel like he he set out to accomplish that as well. So there's a couple guys um, trying to think if there's anybody maybe you know down the depth chart a little bit I can I can pick out for you. Um, not a um, not not necessarily a a physical transformation, but it's been very you know Trey Norwood when he came in last year, the guy was a a mouse. Um, he, you know he he certainly played really well for a seventh round pick. Uh, but was just not a guy you heard from right on the field. You know, he was, he was listening to what everybody else was saying. I, I think you can definitely see his comfort level in the defense. You hear from him a little bit more. Uh, you can kind of see his personality coming out a little bit more too. And so, you know, I think that's just a sign of a guy who's really comfortable and confident in what he's doing. And that's, that's good to see for a young player. I think that's a, that's a big step for him. Right. And speaking of young players, this rookie class, let's see, pick it out of it. We've talked about him a lot. What players in this in this current crop? So you're taking the seven down to six with Pickett being removed from the discussion. Which players, when they step on the field, look like they belong as rookies, and which ones maybe you're like uh, that guy's going to need some time to develop? Where would you put those in those categories? Hmm. I think the guy that looks the you know I think honestly I think they all have a little bit of work to do. Um, uh, but I think the guy that looks the the least out of place is George Pickens, yeah. just because he's so tall, and and he catches everything. He's a really good route runner. Uh, you you kind of just forget that like they go out there with three wide receivers, and you know, okay, here's a pass to Deontay, and here's a pass to to Chase Claypool, and here's a pass to Pickens. Okay, you kind of forget that he's a rookie a little bit. But I think um, when you get uh, you know, more up to the, the, the granular level that he, he also is a guy that needs some of that 
some of that strength, uh, you know, when we saw his film, the, the really, I think, enticing part about his film was you saw a guy that's not only like a tall, fast receiver with good hands, but he also has that kind of personality that the Steelers like to have in their wide receivers where he was a little bit of a bully out there. He liked the block. He liked to get his hands on people. Um, he's a pretty lanky dude. You know, I think if uh, if he's going to want to be that guy at the NFL level, He's gonna have to put on uh, put on some weight or get a little bit stronger because I just don't see him grabbing NFL DBs and wrestling them to the ground. Uh, that, I don't think that's gonna happen. So he th- he looks very much you know in place, but he was obviously um, I, I you know I think it it became very clear seeing him stand next to Chase Claypool. I don't know what their listed weights are, but it looks like Claypool's about forty pounds heavier. <laughs> like <laughs> Claypool's uh, a big dude though. Claypool is a big dude. <laughs> I mean, he is a big dude for a wide receiver, but, you know, Pickens is taller. So, like, you know, okay. for him to be yeah. that much bigger, I think it really uh, just shows that if he's going to be a tough guy wide receiver at the NFL level, well, not that I'm saying he has to be, uh, I think he probably needs to be a little bit stronger. Calvin Austin's speed is NFL speed. Uh, it is – It is. he's already one of the – he's one of the fastest players on the field already, and he ha- seems to have a very, very, very good – um, you know, handle on how to use it. There's been a lot of guys over the years, you know, fringe wide receivers that have that sort of track star speed, but it never translates to success on the football field. And I think he really does have that when you see him you know, running jet sweeps or doing like drills against linebackers where he's just able to make them kind of look silly because you know he he knows how to hesitate or use angles or change angles or change speeds to suck a guy in and then just go right by him and when you're not doing tackle drills it's really hard to give a good sense of how effective a guy who's 59 at best is is going to be in the NFL like his size is you know, the, the impact of his size is hard to measure when no one's allowed to hit him Right. But uh, I think, man, his speed plays, that's that's for sure. And I think, you know, he's going to be a weapon in this offense right away. I don't know if he's going to start. I don't know if he's going to play, you know, a million snaps, but I have a feeling he's going to have an impact uh, in his rookie year just because of his his speed and his ability to use it on the football field is, is a pretty rare combination. Now, you talked about Najee Harris's weight being a topic of conversation. Someone else early on in OTAs, I might have actually gone back to rookie minicamp, was DeMarvin Leal. Everyone said that how he had gained, uh, it seemed like, I guess, since the combine, it was 20 pounds. Um, in terms of size and, and not necessarily ability, but how is he looking, especially with Stefan Tuitt's retirement? A lot of people are turning to him seeing, could he have an impact this year? What are your thoughts? Well, one of the things we don't get at OTAs is we don't get like full pass rush or full run block from, you know, defensive linemen yeah. and offensive linemen. So it's really hard to tell with those guys. You know, I think compared to, you know, if I can watch a receiver run a post and know if it was a good post. You know, I, I, it's really hard to watch a pass rush move on air and know if that's going to work, you, you know. Um, and so I, I think it's – it's a work in progress with him. He's not the, they, they didn't, you know, I, I think, I think they had a pretty good idea that either Stefan to wasn't going to come back or that it was at least a strong possibility that Stefan to wasn't going to come back. And I think that's why they used a third round pick on him. 
But I think they have the depth in front of him that they don't necessarily need him to be a lot this year. I think they need him to be one thing, right? If you have, you know, they have two really strong guys in Tyson Alou and Cam Hayward, and they have two pretty seasoned rotational type guys in Chris Wormley and Montrevis Adams. Those guys are kind of what they are, right? And if you look at Loudermilk and Leal, to me, I think it's like, okay, if, if Hayward and, and Tyson are going to play 60% of the snaps and those two rotational guys are probably going to play, you know, less than 40, but more than 20, like where do those other two guys fit in? And I think the big thing for Leal is he has to find something that he's good at. You know, like when they first called up Henry Mondu from the practice squad a couple of years ago, they only gave him like a certain like, OK, you're going to be our third down, you know, defensive end or, you know, like they just he just needs to find something that he's good at to let him focus on that and, and use that as his sort of entry into the league. And, and I think that's I don't necessarily think he needed to get bigger to do that. You can be a small guy and be a pass rusher. He played edge. At, you know, in college, like he was on the edge. And obviously he's not going to do that with the guys the Steelers have there. But, you know, I think I'm curious to see how the Steelers want to use him. We haven't really gotten to see that yet. And I think that that kind of makes whether him putting on 20 pounds is a good thing or not. You know, I don't know if right. they want him to be a pure pass rusher. He probably didn't need it. Uh, if they want him to be an interior lineman run stuffer, then yeah, he did. So I guess we'll see how his usage plays out. He's a really versatile guy. He's done a lot in college. I'm not quite sure what their plans are for him. So I'm not quite sure exactly whether that was, that was a good thing or not, but I think, you know, he just seems like a guy that, that wants to learn and, and is uh, soaking up what those older guys, that's a really good thing that, um, you know, we made a lot about <laughs> Stefan to it, not being at OTAs. Cam Hayward and Tyson Lulu do not need to learn anything at OTAs. And I think they've both, I think they've almost been there every day. And so if you're a young defensive lineman, that's a huge advantage to sit there and watch those two guys work every day. And I think that'll pay off for him in the long run. Well, that's, that's a great segment segue into my last question for you before I let you go. And that is, I did a podcast last week about how, I feel like the Steelers need more leaders and better leadership in 2022. And last year, you know, we there's the the usual names, the usual suspects of Cam Hayward. TJ Watt leads in his own way. I think as well as Manka Fitzpatrick on offense, it was really just Ben Roethlisberger. I guess my question is, it's early, it's OTAs. You kind of mentioned Mitch Trubisky already. Outside of those usual suspects, is there anyone that's out there that's stepping up as a leader that you're like, wow, we're hearing him more. You said Trey Norwood. Is there anyone else that might fit that role of someone that's ready to step up in a leadership role? And in my opinion, in a team that really needs it. You know, I think James Daniels is a guy that I didn't really know that much about his personality. I do, you know, obviously I had seen what he'd done on the field, but I, I didn't really know um, anything about what he was as a guy or, or that kind of thing. And he's really been not like the raw, raw guy, um, as far as you know, that kind of like like loud or but he seems to be the guy that every young offensive lineman turns to, right? Like, okay, what did we do wrong there, or what happened here, or how can I be better at that? He just seems, and you know, the the really funny thing is he's not that old. Um, you know, he we think of him as this. He's been in the league uh, veteran, uh, but he's 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 only twenty four, yeah. um, and so he's the same age 
as some of like him and Dan Moore are, are only a few months off. Right. So uh, it's been very interesting to see. I don't think he's this like, you know, like I said, he's not a rah rah type, but it just seems like they've really uh, latched on to his experience as something that they can all learn from. And he seems to be a very willing teacher um, where, you know, he's given his time to those guys. And, and I think that's huge for that unit because I think that's one of the things they were really missing last year. You know, I'm not sure that, that Trey Turner was that guy or had a lot to give to some of those guys. I think Daniels, you know, he's played center, he's played guard. He just has a lot of good experience that they can they can kind of grab onto. And maybe being closer in age actually helps that process. You know, maybe he's not seen as the the old guy in the room. He's just like everybody else. He's just played a lot more. And, and so, I, I don't know, he seems to have really uh, helped solidify that line um, to be a leader. Chase Claypool, I think, has come a long way. You know, I, I think that a lot of people were very rightly critical of his sort of demeanor and behavior in a lot of things last year. And I thought he's been, one, when he talked to us, very upfront about needing to be better in some of those areas. And also, I just think he's been the guy. He's been that guy for those young wide receivers. You know, Deontay Johnson hasn't been there a ton. Uh, it's a really, really young group. And Chase Claypool has been that guy. And I honestly think that can be a wake-up call in its own way to guys where it's like, oh, I'm not the young guy in this room anymore. I'm actually now the guy that everybody else is coming to. Now I need to be an example, right? Uh, and so I think he can kind of see some of that. And I think it's going to be really good for him. Fantastic stuff, Alan. Thank you for your time. Why don't you give your, uh, give all my guests a chance to plug their social media, their website, their podcast, et cetera. So why don't you go ahead and do that? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at asaunders underscore PGH and all my Steelers coverage as at SteelersNow.com or on Twitter at PGH Steelers Now. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. All right, Alan. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, and a big thank you to Alan for taking the time. Boy, gave some really great and detailed information in that segment. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did delivering that segment. So I really uh, hope that you, my ride-or-die crew, enjoyed that, and also you're ready for the questions. Make sure on Tuesday you're looking out around noon, give or take. Follow me on Twitter at jhartman, H-A-R-T-M-A-N underscore P-I-T. I'm going to say I need some questions for the mailbag. You all deliver, and I will answer every single one once you answer that tweet, that's all you got to do. I hope you have a great start to your week. I hope you had a great Monday. Make sure you're with me on, on Wednesday for that mailbag and another round of sound about the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know how we finished it out here. Be safe, be kind, and God bless. Have a great start to your week. We'll see you on Wednesday. Go Steelers.